of Christ be with you. you. Let's turn and greet one another. welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and especially if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you are here. On each one of the rows, there's a friendship pad. It's near the center aisle. It's a black folder, and we'd love to have you take it and fill it out. Let us know that you're here, and then pass it down the row so that other people can do that too. It's because I'd like to introduce to you Sean Martin, who is from Lifewater International. He is a Presbyterian pastor, and he is going to be talking during the 10 o'clock hour about life water. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your worship today. I'm honored to be here at Laguna Presbyterian Church. And as Kathy mentioned, I am a Presbyterian pastor, so I'm thrilled to be here for our Overflow Sunday with my people, um, with Presbyterians. Um, but I'm also, my full-time job now is to work with LifeWater International, and so thrilled to share a little bit about what Overflow Sunday is all about, and I'll be doing that during the second service. Um, first, let me just say a huge thank you to this church. This church actually has a big connection to LifeWater. Our founders, Bill and Lorraine Ash, um, actually founded LifeWater in 1977, and their daughter and son-in-law attend here. 
And I don't see Anna, but I see George. <laughs> so um, so um, we're so honored to, to be here and representing um, LifeWater today. Um, but also, this church is actually, since 2017, you have provided clean water, health, and hope to over 135 people. Um, whose lives are changed forever. That has been largely done by the kids in your VBS over the summer. And so I just wanted to share really quickly about the impact that you've already made because it's, it's really um, exceptional. So this year, the kids um, were able to sponsor, help to sponsor a village in Uganda called Butangala Biri. And um, here is a picture of a family um, that lives in that village. The mother's name is Liz. And we are told that her kids are just joyful kids. They're smiling all the time and um, bring so much light to their community. But unsafe water has been making these kids and this community sick for many, uh, many generations. And, and these kids, it's um, impacting their ability to thrive. Um, here's the picture of the dirty contaminated spring where this community, the community that you helped to sponsor this year, this is where they've been gathering water on a daily basis for years and years and years. Liz and her family have been journeying to this village three times a day. It takes an hour to fetch water. So it takes them three hours each day um, just to collect water. But your children's ministry has made a huge impact, um, already helping to improve health and soon will provide clean water for this community. And um, so today, during the adult ed hour, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the water crisis. I'm going to share about how it impacts families just like this. I'm going to share about a new community in need of clean water, and we're going to learn about a young girl, and how, her, and we're going to follow her journey from gathering water from a place like that to living a healthy life now. Um, so I want to invite you to come to this second hour um, and invite you to learn about this. And if you feel so called to join the overflow to allow God's love to flow from us and to serve more people. Um, so thank you again for all that you've done. It's an honor to be with you. I look forward to seeing many of you after this service. Thanks, Sean. And part of what he didn't say is he has 15 virtual reality headsets. And so you get to look through these glasses things and it's a virtual reality of what a village is like. So very cool. I, that, that right there is the reason to go, you know, so you can kind of play with virtual reality. Yeah, and you can, um, and those of you who have children at this time, you could do that after the service so your children could try it out with you. Um, they're going to do that after second service too. Uh, there's blood pressure check after this service this morning over in the prayer room. Our nurses are providing that for us. This afternoon, there is a wonderful concert by a group called Contrapunctus. I heard them before, and they are just terrific. Free concert at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, this Thursday afternoon, you have an opportunity to participate in, uh, in getting ready to raise some money for another one of Annika Follis's favorite charities, which is Benjamin Child in Greece. She's going to be having a bazaar on the weekend, but a group of us are gathering on Thursday afternoon to bake pies to sell at the bazaar. So if you think you'd like to help, you don't have to really know anything. Sandy Petering will make it work. Um, do reply. It gives you the information in here. Reply to Sandy Petering and let her know that you're coming so that she's got no, she knows how many hands she has to be part of that. And the memorial service for Lynn Stanton is going to be this Friday at 1 o'clock. You are all invited to be part of that. Melinda is his wife, and she's a part of our congregation. The third Friday group on Friday night is going to be hearing Jeff Nagel talk about resilience. I was just with my adult children in Washington, D.C., and sort of like everything went wrong. And I ended up saying, you are so resilient, because I knew that you were going to talk about that. So they managed to bounce back from like all these awful things that were happening to them. Um, so that he's going to talk about building that. This is Friday. You do need to sign up so that we know how many people are coming. It's a potluck, and so uh, we'd like to know what you're going to bring. Our book group is going to be reading a new book called Glass Houses by Louise Penny. This is not the Glass Castle book that some of you know of about mental illness. This is a mystery, and it takes place in Montreal or outside of Montreal. So uh, those books are available out on the uh, patio today raises the question of conscience and whether there is a higher conscience. I'm looking. The flowers this morning are celebrating an anniversary. Robert 
and Lorna Cohen, 47 years. Stand up. Ah, congratulations. That's wonderful. They are also being given by Deborah and Gary Waller, who say, uh, in appreciation for the members of our pastor nominating committee and for their dedication to the task in the days ahead, uh, wanting us to also continue to pray for them as they search for our new full-time pastor. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Who is like you, O Lord? Wherever we look, the world around us speaks of the greatness of your power and the depth of your wisdom. It is your hand that carved out the seas, that raised up the mountains, that set the sun in place and robed this earth with a thin garment of air, making it a haven of beauty and life. Because your steadfast love never fails, we gather before your face this morning and lift our voices to sing your praise. Amen. Please join me for our call to worship. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for he is gracious. For, for I, I know that, that the Lord, Lord is great. great. Our Lord, Lord is above all gods. gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. The Lord makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth. The Lord makes lightnings for the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. It was the Lord who sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord. Let us stand and worship together. Uh, let us sing the mighty power of our God. I sing the mighty power of God.
confession this morning is Psalm 139. And we'll sing the chorus together and then we'll sing the verses. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Save me from where I have strayed, that I might walk in your everlasting way.
Amen. Hear the good news. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. O people of God, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. Trust in this good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Amen.
wrong, but don't be stubborn. That's the summary of the sermon. And most of us don't know how to discern the difference between those two. Moses struggled with this. Listen to the text. He was caught between the household of Pharaoh and the household of God. And he was trying to figure out who he wanted to be like. And God tries to clarify for Moses from the beginning of his conversation with Pharaoh who he should be like. Listen to the word that Moses helped write and experienced and that guides us into who Jesus is. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, company my company out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. The word of the Lord. So when do we harden our hearts and absolutely refuse to do something that might be helpful? This isn't just about Pharaoh. This is about every human being who is worth their salt working through how they use their will. And I'll bet you every one of us at some point has dug in and said... Hell no, I'm not going to do that. Maybe you don't use the word hell no. You're Presbyterians after all. Throughout the Exodus, Moses is wrestling with who God is and who God wants him to become. There are a number of conversations between God and Moses. And in those conversations, God is saying to Moses, here's what I want you to do. And the more Moses talks with God, the more Moses discovers that God wants to have a conversation. It's a negotiation. God doesn't come to Moses and say, do this or else. Sometimes when we think a person's trying to be like God, we think of that in terms of negative images. Well, they're so stubborn, they want to be like God. No. What Moses has discovered is God is not like that. Pharaoh is like that. And every one of us have to choose between the household of God or the household of Pharaoh. Every one of us wrestles with this invitation that Moses received from God. I will make you like God, except that's not what the text really says. The Hebrew says, I will make you God to Pharaoh. There is no like or as in the text. I will make you God. I will form you. I will transform you. I will developmentally prepare you to be like God, to be God to Pharaoh. Leadership. Well, I'm going to go here with nervousness. Leadership is to learn to be God. 
in the way God really is, not the way Pharaoh is. And this text is a universal text so that we will know the difference between Pharaonic leadership and God-like leadership. And at the heart of who Moses is, he's wrestling with this every day of his life. I'll bet you, you wrestle with that every day of your life. The word make here is a big term. I always get nervous with people who say, you know, every Hebrew word can be translated to one English word out of the Hebrew language. I'm here to tell you that this word Nathan, which is where we get the prophet's name Nathan, can be translated into at least 300 different words. Well, what do you make out of that? Well, I think the summary is God wants to do something significant and there are a lot of ways that God's going to work in you to make you God, Moses. To give, to set, bestow, ascribe, to form, to cause, dedicate, display, enable, empower, ennoble, drive, show, present, grow, and develop, plus a few hundred more. I'm going to form you to be God before Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh refuses God. Pharaoh refuses to be like God. Pharaoh thinks he's already God. He doesn't have to become like anybody else. He's already there. Now that's what we mean when we say that person is trying to be God. They've decided in and of their own selves that they want to control other human beings. And they're not open to change. God says this to Moses because Moses is open to change. God says this to you because you're open to change. The pattern that you've learned, the pattern I've learned growing up, is full of pharaonic temptations. By the way, somebody asked me one time, is that even a word, pharaonic? Yes, it is. If you look it up in your Webster's, you will find that pharaonic is a term. And don't do it. (laughs) Moses is choosing between the household of God, which is the way Exodus starts. The women, the first six women who appeared in the text, are household of God participants. Pua, Shifra, Moses' mother, Moses' sister, Pharaoh's daughter, and Zipporah. And then there's Jethro himself. Those are all people who live in the household of God, and they are contrasted with the pattern of Pharaoh. And they are learning to behave like God. Moses and God enter into a conversation. Unlike Pharaoh and Moses, you see, Moses is trying to win Pharaoh over with a negotiation and a conversation. Pharaoh will have none of it. God comes into your life, it's the beginning of a conversation, and you begin negotiating with God. It's a good thing. Because God respects your being. Pharaoh has no respect for anybody but himself. God asks Moses to do things, but guess what? Moses learns he can ask God to do things. Wow. It's a partnership. It's a conversation. We're working together. Pharaoh doesn't do that kind of stuff, but God does. We've heard it said, well, who does that person think he or she is? It's usually a detrimental statement about God, and we perceive God as a high-control being. God demands, God controls, God coerces, God manipulates, God oppresses. How many of us have said, it's not good to be like God? Or get offended by somebody who really is trying to imitate God. Well, if it's really Yahweh, the Lord, we should pay attention. The hardened, stubborn heart. 
like Pharaoh has, refuses the encounter with God, refuses the conversation with God, refuses to listen to God, refuses to admit there is a God other than themselves. You know people like that. There's no outside power. I am the power. Beware of pastors who act like that. Beware of parents who act like that. Of CEOs and bosses who act like that. There are many pharaohs in this world. It's an active pattern of life. And God is trying us to let go of pharaoh and embrace the pattern of God. To harden one's heart, some of the ways that I have heard it expressed is to cut off all means of negotiation and flexibility. It's the ugly side of perseverance. It's standing your ground for the wrong reasons. It's to be able to, it's a commitment to cause damage. Come hell or high water, I'm going to get my way even if it destroys everybody. By the way, this has all sorts of political ramifications today and has from the beginning of time. Beware of leaders who are like pharaohs. It's not good. They'll take the entire country down with them. And part of our job is to say no, like Moses, to Pharaoh. Because we don't want pharaohs running things. And by the way, that does take courage and to be strong because what pharaoh wants to do if you say no to pharaoh is get rid of you i had a wonderful grandmother nelly she was my first piano teacher she was a very artistic lady she was in her late 80s when i knew her she was a lady of prayer she was a lady of humility but my dad would tell the story about his mother earlier in her life. Because she had such a strong aesthetic pattern, she was missing having flowers on the family farm, the family um, places to make things grow. And so she said to her husband, my dad's father, I want a rose garden. It was in central eastern Illinois. If you know anything about central eastern Illinois, it's tough to grow roses there. You can grow corn and soybeans, but not very many roses. It's not like Laguna Beach. But he listened to her and he says, I don't think it's going to work, but I'll plow the ground and we'll make you a sizable garden for roses. And she worked that garden for several months to try to get roses to grow. And the harder she worked at it, the less the roses appeared to be flourishing. And the less the roses appeared to be flourishing, the more she worked at it. You know that pattern. I'm going to make this happen come hell or high water. And she finally, after several months, decided it just wasn't going to work and let the garden go. In the middle of all that, she was neglecting her family. She had a number of children. I think it was eight. And she was neglecting the farm because she was really focused on her roses. She had become very stubborn. But when I knew her in life, she would go around with a wet cloth on her head in the hot weather in Southern California, and would say, you know, people are just too proud to wear a wet rag on their head <laughs> in the hot weather. She had learned that being stubborn wasn't a good thing. And so teaching me piano, it wasn't teaching me to be stubborn. By the way, there are some piano teachers that are like pharaohs. Don't study with those teachers. The results of Pharaoh's stubbornness 
are that everyone around him paid the price for his decisions. He had to have solidarity with his officials or they wouldn't be his officials. It was his way or the highway. He refused to listen to any outside advice other than his own perspective. And he was committed to getting his way even if it destroyed the slaves, it destroyed Egypt, it ruined everything. Can you imagine a leader who's willing to sacrifice everything around him or her in order to get their way? I was looking for some psychological advice on how to deal with a stubborn person. And I love these three these, uh, points. Don't keep pushing. Well, Moses didn't figure that one out. God didn't figure that one out. He kept pushing. By the way, I think that's one of the reasons it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. How did God do that? God didn't give up. God kept pushing. God wouldn't let go. Let my people go. God wouldn't give up. Kept pushing. And according to psychologists, that's the worst thing you can do to a stubborn person, is keep pushing. Well, what's God trying to do? God's trying to prove once and for all that stubbornness is not the way to go and let stubbornness run its full course to idiocy. That's what he says, by the way, to the children. I wanted you to see this so that you'd understand what it means to make fools of yourselves. That's why the children asked the question. God wants Moses to learn to be like God. And those patterns of being like God are clearly articulated in the, in the pattern that Moses has discovered about God by living with God and working with God, and it's identified in both Exodus and Numbers. God is slow to anger. Abundant and mercy and grace, full of steadfast love and forgiveness and faithfulness. That's the kind of person God wants us to become. And Pharaoh is not that. I am watching with interested curiosity the phenomenon of Kanye West having decided he has been embraced by Jesus Christ. He has gone public and says, Jesus is my Lord, and has even created an entire album and musical phenomenon declaring, Jesus is Lord. It's interesting to watch the changes in the family. I don't know if you watch the Kardashian reality TV or not. I don't, but I did for a little while just to get a glimpse. Here's a man who grew up with almost no boundaries and has experienced almost every negative aspect of life that can be done because he's had enough money to buy all sorts of things and do all sorts of things. And he's discovered Jesus and that many things in his life aren't appropriate. And watch how his parenting style changes. He has said to Kim, don't wear that dress. It reveals too much. Now, you're trying to say that to Kim Kardashian. Can you imagine what's going to happen? Saying to their children, I'm sorry, you six-year-old. You can't have any makeup. Well, mom is the queen of makeup in the world. To say to the kids, I'm sorry, in this technological age, you can't have any televisions or computers or cell phones because you don't know how to use them yet. And Kim is saying, well, actually, these boundaries are good. But here is the caution that we all live with. He has been discipled by very rigid, tight Christians who have a very right-wing view of reality. And it's their way or the highway. And beware if Kanye West and his following of Jesus becomes pharaonic in his style of leadership. Because that's the temptation for many Christians who have led lives that have been 
pro, um, prodigal. They tend to become rather narrow and uptight. And they use God as an excuse for that. I'm here to say that's not what Jesus is forming us to become. We may need boundaries early in our walk with Christ. We may need to be giving boundaries to our children and patterns that are very well defined. But when God wants you to grow up, God is trying to create in you flexibility and faithfulness and graciousness along with the assertiveness. And that's not pharaonic. And so it is that when we watch people become Christians, we want to be careful who they are discipled by. And here's the ultimate issue for us as Christians. We are called to become like Christ. The, the New Testament is full of invitations to be formed into the full image and maturity of Christ. And guess who Jesus is? He's the full image and maturity of God. So the message of become God is not a new message. It's not just for Moses. It's for all Christians. Become Jesus. And you better know who Jesus is. He's not pharaonic. He's not like the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests who will kill you if you don't agree with them. He is full of mercy and grace and kindness. Assertive, yes, truthful. But he doesn't want to scare the hell out of you. And so it is that we're being invited to become mature, complete, whole. The Old Testament term for that is shalom. The New Testament term for that is teleos. To become mature and complete human beings. For that is who God wants to make us to be. So listen to these words. We are given gifts, according to Ephesians 4, to equip people for service to humanity, for building up the body of Christ, to unity, to the knowledge of Christ, who is the Son of God, to maturity, to the full measure of the stature of Christ, to be like God. May God help us to know the difference between Pharaoh and God. Amen. Merciful God, we bring to you our own hard hearts and we ask that you will form us to be more like you. Give us grace as we encounter stubbornness and uh, pharaonic ways both within us and with those around us. We thank you that you are a God who listens to us, who wants to be in conversation we thank you that you bear the pain of the world. And so we bring you to you today the hopeless places of our world and of our lives, crying out for you to intervene. Thank you for the work of life water. Pray for each of those villages where people are um, ill and dying because all they have is polluted water. We ask that you would provide for them and that you would bless this ministry, that you would provide healing and hope. Lord, it has been a week when many people we love have been in great need. So we ask that you would look with compassion on each who is in need, that you would bring healing and a sure hope of your faithful presence. 
Hear the names of those for whom we pray today as we speak them aloud before you. Carol. Lord, move us to act swiftly this day, to be generous every day, and to work for justice always, even as we pray for the day when your will is done on earth as in heaven, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us affirm our faith together from the words of the book of Philippians. Let's stand as we affirm our faith. Let the same heart be in us that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us be seated. So as I've said on many occasions, money becomes an extension of our true sense of who we are. We can become pharaohs with our money or servants of God with our money. And the question is, is who are we becoming? Are we moving towards being a servant of God or are we moving towards becoming more pharaonic? It's a bit ironic that studies have said that people who have more money tend to be tighter and uptight about their money. So we who have money need to be cautious that we not become pharaohs with our money. But we learn to be servants of God, and we learn to look for ways to do God's service in the world with what God has given to us. Let us discern our call with our money as we give today. As the plate is being passed this morning and we take up the offering, you'll find this song on page four of the music insert. I'll just invite you to sing along as you'd like to. And then we'll stand after the offering is uh, passed through the congregation and we'll dedicate that as we sing together. As arise, strength of God, go before, lift me up. As I wake, eyes of God, look upon, be my son. As I wake,
verse 3 with us. As I go, hand of God, my defense by my side. As I rest, breath of God, fall upon, bring me peace. Oh, let's stand together. So we give ourselves to you, God, as Moses presented himself to enter into a conversation that will transform us to become more like you. Help form our monetary, our economic, our relational values in such a way that we become servants of the Most High God. In Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, we invite you to come forward to meet with our prayer ministers right over here. They would love to pray with you and for you. One of the things that Moses said a number of times in that high priestly prayer that Aaron probably reiterated over and over to the people, may the Lord bless you, and that word bless means may the Lord kneel before you and lift you up so that you can go and lift other people up. May that blessing carry you out into the world that you might carry other people when they're down. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs> 